Well, we are concluding Living in the Lion's Den. How many of you enjoyed this series? Been an interesting series, a study through the book of Daniel, uh, lots of different aspects of Daniel. You know, when we started out, Daniel was a young man in his, probably his late teens. And near the end of the book of Daniel, he's in his late 80s. So we've kind of followed his life. And what's interesting is that the first eight chapters are uniquely different from the last four. And that's where we'll really focus today is the last four chapters. Because in the beginning, he interprets dreams and visions for kings. And then we find out that he risked death because he was going to pray. No matter what the king said, no matter what law was passed, he was going to pray. And he got thrown into the lion's den. And today we take a little different turn. Because if you'll notice, the book of Daniel is listed in the prophets. And because of the last four chapters, he's considered a prophet. And the reason is, is that he spoke things that God gave to him, visions that God gave to him that were prophetic. And not just prophetic, but God told him, he said, I want you to seal this up. And it's for another time. I want you to look at that because it's kind of interesting because look at it the way I see it. And I believe he's talking about today. Look at Daniel chapter 12. And we're going to read just verse 1 through 4. At that time, Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time... Every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. I like that. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Now watch this verse 4 and see if you don't think this is not talking about today. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. Now does it sound like rushing here and there? I mean in Daniel's day, nothing moved fast. And nobody moved anywhere really. But it talked, and I'm sure I can just see Daniel writing that down and thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Rushing here and there. And knowledge is increasing exponentially. It's interesting. Knowledge is increasing, but we're not very wise. We're rushing here and there, but we're not getting anywhere worthwhile. And God told Daniel, and Daniel was troubled. He was concerned about some of these visions. He didn't understand them. They were strange. And so he kind of settles him down and says, this is not for your day. This is for a day in the future. And the more I read the book of Daniel, the more I believe 
the prophecies and the visions that God gave him are for right now. Look at 9 and 10 of the same chapter in chapter 12. Look, see what you think. But he said, this is just a few verses later, but he said, Go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Look what he says about that. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness. And none of them will understand. That's interesting. Only those who are wise will know what it means. Interesting. I believe you and I have a responsibility to look into the book of Daniel, to understand what he's saying, and to see how it applies to us so that we can know what's going on. Did you notice what he said? He said, only those who are wise will get it. We'll understand what's going on. And I see that around me today. A lot of people do not get it. They do not see what is going on around us. They do not see that prophecy is being fulfilled. They do not see that the Word of God is coming alive in our lifetime. They don't see it. But God says here, a lot of people, they just don't understand. They just miss it totally. But those who are wise, and I believe that is you and I, who are full of the Holy Spirit, who know the Word of God, he says, they're going to know what's going on. How many of you would like to know what's going on? I would like to know what's going on. So what we want to do today is we want to look at what Daniel said prophetically. How it applies to us in a prophetic sense. And to start that the most to me one of the most amazing miracles happens right here as God showed him what what is called the 70 weeks so the first thing I want us to see and that is God tells us when Jesus would be killed I want to tell you God nails it on the money correctly and if the people of God, if the Jewish people had just bothered to look at this prophecy and look at the dates, they could have known when Jesus was going to die. They would have been able to say, hold it. We're about to kill this guy, Jesus, and the prophecies of Daniel says that the Messiah is going to be killed right now. They could have put those two together and said, oh my goodness. So I want us to see this. I want us to understand how that works. First of all, let's look at a couple of verses. Let's go in Daniel 9. We're going to read from 23 to 26 and trying to get a context here. 23 to 26. The moment you began praying, remember we kind of referenced this a couple of weeks ago. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and I'm here to tell you what it was. For you're very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Here it is. Now, we didn't talk about this because I wanted to save this for today. A period of 70 sets of seven. Sometimes the translations say 70 weeks, but really it's pretty clear he's talking about 70 sets of seven years has been decreed for your people 
and your holy city to finish their rebellion, put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. In other words, that's everything. (laughs) 25. Now listen and understand. So he's going to try and give a little clarity. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, and that is an obvious reference to Jesus, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite perilous times. Verse 26. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. Doesn't say die, says we'll be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. What a what an amazing prophetic word about Jesus. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with the flood and war, and its miseries are declared, de- decreed from that time to the very end. Now, what I've tried to do is try to get a graphic together that would try to explain this a little better. So if you want to show that graphic, I'm going to try and explain it. First of all, some of these dates are set in history already. First of all, over here in 445 B.C., Cyrus the king made a declaration that the city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt and he would pay for it. Did you catch that? A pagan king declared that Jerusalem would be rebuilt and God's people would go back to Jerusalem. And he financed it. Now, that's amazing in itself. Always remember, God can work through pagan evil kings. Why? Because God says king is like water in his hand. God's going to do what he's going to do. And here's the amazing thing, and and I I didn't want to get too much into the prophetic here, but I'm just going to do you a little background history. In 200 years before Cyrus was born, Isaiah the prophet prophesied and said, a man named Cyrus, who doesn't know me, will rebuild my city. Is that not amazing? He prophesied it 200 years before it was ever done, before Cyrus was even born. And Cyrus was a Persian king. And in 445 B.C., he made the declaration. Nobody really knows why he made that declaration. And you read that declaration. If you want to read about it, you can read it in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. It literally says, Ezra says that Cyrus the king made the declaration that the city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt. And he goes on and describes how he's going to pay for it. He's going to make sure it happens and all of God's people are going to go back. Amazing. Now, remember there were seven sevens? So you look at the first seven. So you seven times seven, that's the first set, 
is 49 years. You start at 445 B.C., 396 B.C. just happens to be when the temple was dedicated. So that explains the first set of sevens. And then you have 434 years from this time until, look at that, 32 A.D. Now what did we see that Daniel prophesied? He said from the time the decree goes out until Messiah, the anointed one, is killed will be... The 69, which is the 49, and the, uh, the, are the 7 and the 62. And from the time of the declaration until the time uh, the anointed one is killed, that will be when the anointed one is killed, when those weeks are completed. And it just so happens, you know, you think, oh, 32 A.D. Well, most people understand that... Jesus was approximately a year old when the year A.D. began. So that would put it when in Jesus would be 33 years old in 32 A.D. I mean, how much more amazing is that? That he could prophesy when Jesus would die. He didn't prophesy when he would be born prophesied from the time the decree, 445 B.C., until the anointed one is killed is going to be those 69 sevens. And then it's like there was a pause. Put that graphic back up again. And that's what I have here is I call it a pause. And really most people call it the times of the Gentiles. Now why in the world is it called the time of of the Gentiles, because Jesus actually said this when he was alive. Right before he left, he said, this, this temple is going to be destroyed. Every stone is going to be turned one upon the other. And in 70 A.D., 40, approximately 40 years after Jesus died and was resurrected, 40 years later, they came in and they overtook Jerusalem. And for the first time since the beginning of the birth of the Jewish nation, and Jerusalem was in the hands of the Jews, for the very first time, Jerusalem was taken. And not just taken, but every Jew was dispersed, and they were scattered over the whole earth. And because now Gentiles ruled and took over Jerusalem, it was called the times of the Gentiles. Because Jerusalem is always the focus. That's why today there's so much focus on Jerusalem. The Muslims, the Jews, and even Christians, they look at Jerusalem because they know it's important. So, what we want to look at, and we're going to look at it in just a minute, is that last seven years. But I just want to say this about the pause. God has used this pause, and it's been over 2,000 years. 2,037 years to be exact. God has used this pause to spread the gospel over the whole world. Because although it's the times of the Gentiles and although Jerusalem has been taken over or was taken over, God has used this to spread the gospel, the message of Jesus over the whole world. 
Now, I want to say the clock is ticking again. And we are no longer, I don't believe, in the times of the Gentiles. And why is that? Because on June the 5th, something happened, 1967. I don't know how many of you were alive June the 5th, 1967. But it was the beginning of the Six-Day War. And it was an amazing war that took place just six days. And what happened? Jerusalem was taken back by the Jewish people. And that was significant. No wonder so many Jewish people wept like babies when they came back into Jerusalem. It was the first time since 70 A.D. that the Jews had taken back Jerusalem. Over 2,000 years since they had been back in Jerusalem and they were now back in charge of Jerusalem. It was a day of rejoicing, but it also, God hit the clock. And the clock has been ticking. It's no longer in the times of the Gentiles. Now time is inching forward until that last seven years will wrap up everything. We're going to be talking about that in just a moment. But I will note this. Next year, 2017, on June the 10th, will be exactly 50 years since Jerusalem was taken back. You say, will that be significant? I don't know, but I plan on paying attention. (laughs) I guarantee I'm going to be paying attention. Because I don't know. I just know God moves in time and specific times are important to God. Okay. God correctly told Daniel exactly when Jesus would be killed. And that's amazing. That was a prophetic word that is almost hard to believe. And yet he did it. Second thing that's important. God spoke to us about our day. He wants to say something to us about our day. Look at verse 26 again. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise. Here we go. All through the last four chapters of Daniel, he talks about this ruler. Sometimes he's called uh, the Antichrist, sometimes he's called a ruler, but he talks about it and he says, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. And this is important here, the last part. The end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Interesting way to say it. It'll come like a flood. And I don't know about you, but I feel like we're living in a day when it's just like wave after wave, like a flood. It's just like you can't stop it. And one misery after another. One problem after another. I feel like we're under attack. And the thing that we have to understand is that during this time, there is, I guess you could say, from the time the clock started again, which I believe was June 10, 1967, 
Now, we're leading up to that day when God has that last week, that last period of seven years. And I believe that God has a lot to say about that ruler, that leader. And I actually, there's so much in these last four chapters that talk about this Antichrist that it actually would take us about three or four hours just to look at all the different references. So we kind of have to pick and choose. But let me just say that there is a reason why God describes this ruler. Let me just challenge your thinking just for a moment. Why do you think it's important for God to tell us or to describe to us this ruler, this antichrist, this one who will bring desolation? This, he already says he's going to desolate and take over uh, the, the Holy Land. Why do you think God went to such great detail to describe? And we're going to look at some of the scriptures in just a moment. Just for a moment, I want you to think about that. Why would God describe this guy so, so much? My common sense answer is that he would like for us to recognize him. That makes sense? If somebody describes somebody to me, I'm thinking they want me to recognize him and know who he is and see him for what he is. Now, I personally do not know or I do not think that there is, quote, the Antichrist on the radar right now. That's just my personal opinion. And I know I've heard people, oh, I think so-and-so is the Antichrist, I think so-and-so, but personally, I, I don't see it. But I will say this. The way we are thinking now, and the way we seem to be willing to accept hook, line, and sinker, a bunch of baloney. It's like we're setting ourselves up for the Antichrist to come in. I'm hearing a lot of statements that we are willing to give up our, our personal freedoms so that we can be secure or so that we can have this or so that we can have that. I want to tell you, when people start doing that, it's scary. It's scary. So we may not see the Antichrist today on the horizon as an individual, but I do believe we are living in a day where people do not want to believe the truth. And they would rather have a lie because it's comfortable and it fits their agenda. They would rather have a lie than the truth. So let's talk about the third thing. And that is that, that last period of seven years. It's important. What's going to lead up to that? Look at a, let's look at that last verse. We've gone down to verse 26. Now let's look at 27. Let's look at it. The ruler, here's that guy again, will make a treaty with the people. And that's probably a reference to Israel. For a period of one set of seven. Now, so that's that last week, that last set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices 
and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilege object. And most people believe that's probably going to be a pig that causes desecration. Most people believe the Antichrist is going to put a pig and sacrifice a pig on this altar that the Jews have now re-erected. Until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. So that's a short mention of this guy. Now let's, let's look at another reference in Daniel chapter 11. Gives us a little more detail. We're going to go 31 to 36. It gives a little more detail about this guy. His army will take over the temple fortress. Pollute the sanctuary. Put a stop to the daily sacrifices. That's just what he said in 27, in verse 27, uh, 927. And set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. So that's a little repeat. He will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. Can I just stop right there? Keep that verse there right there if you would. I want to say this. I get this question all the time. People say, Brother Nay, the Antichrist is prophesied. So since it's just a fulfillment of prophecy, shouldn't we just go along with everything he does? What does it just say here? But the people who know their God will be strong and will what? Roll over and play dead? And let evil take over? Absolutely not. We have a God-given responsibility to resist the enemy at every step. Why? Because we want as much time as possible to win people to the name of Jesus. Every day the enemy is thwarted and stopped. We have more time to tell people about Jesus. And I have met people and talked with people and they just have this attitude ah it's going to happen anyway the antichrist is going to do his thing i'm just going to hide in the mountain somewhere and just let him do whatever he wants to do and i want to say baloney baloney that is not our calling we are to resist we're to proclaim the name of the lord we're to do all we can to preach righteousness we are to lift up the name of the lord And in every way possible to resist the enemy. And and so right here it tells me. Those who are strong and know God. They're going to resist him. Okay, let's go back to it. Verse 33. Wise leaders will give instruction to many. But these teachers will die by fire. Ouch. And sword. Ouch. Or they will be jailed and robbed. I'm hoping that doesn't describe me. Verse 34, during these persecutions, little help will arrive, and many who join them will not be sincere. So it's kind of be aware, be on your guard. And some of the wise will fall victim to persecution. In this way, they'll be refined and cleansed. And made pure until the time of the end for the appointed time is still to come. So if you feel like the fire's on a little bit in your life, say, Lord, thank you for refining me. 
purifying me? How many of you feel like you got a little fire under you? Yeah, well, that's, that's the way it is. Now, let's take the same idea and let's see if that matches what the believers believed in the New Testament. So let's go to 2 Thessalonians. Very similar. See some of these same things. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 5 through 12. It's amazing how similar. Why? Because they saw those prophecies. They knew what was happening. And they could tell and they spoke and taught the New Testament believers the same thing. 5 through 12. Don't you remember that I told you all about this when I was with you? You know what is holding him back. And he can be revealed only when his time comes. He's referring to this antichrist or ruler. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. So the Antichrist, he's working secretly, even today. But at some point, whatever is holding him back is going to step back. Verse 8. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. I like that. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. Ten. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. Because, here's why, they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. In other words, they've seen the truth, but they refuse to believe it. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Oh my, do we not live in a day today where everybody seems to want the lie? And you've probably said it to yourself. You said, how can people believe the lies they're believing he just told you right here because they would rather have the lie they've been presented with the truth but they don't like the truth they can't handle the truth they don't want the truth and so as a result they rejected those truths and they've accepted the lie and we're kind of like what kind of dummy are you How stupid can you be? Excuse my language. And I'm going to say this right here. Just to repeat what I said earlier, we have to do everything we can. Everything we can. And I'll, I'll plug it one more time. You must vote. If you are even considering not voting, I want to say this. To not vote is to allow evil to take over your land. I don't like either candidate. But then in reality, I can remember lots of elections where I haven't liked the candidates. (laughs) Welcome to politics. 
That happens all the time. You have to simply pray and ask God to give you the person to vote for that you believe has the greatest opportunity to have a tender heart toward God. And my confidence is not in either candidate. My confidence is in the Lord. And I want to say this, and if you're mad at me for encouraging you to vote, it's okay, I can handle that. No matter who wins, we're in for turbulent times. Everybody understand that? Neither candidate is this panacea for peace and prosperity and everything's going to be hunky-dory. It just ain't happening. It's just not going to happen. There's going to be turbulent times. I don't care who wins. That's why our trust has to be in the Lord. But we still need to vote. And shame on you. If you just sit back and do nothing. I think of all the veterans and people who have died on foreign fields for the privilege and the right to vote. And then some people just sit home. Terrible. Last thing I I believe God is speaking to us, and that is, you need to be ready. Wouldn't Wouldn't you agree with that? If we're living in turbulent times today, and I believe we are, and we're living in a time where people don't want to believe the truth, they want to believe a lie, and if we're living in a day when God's clock has started again, June 10, 1967, and now God is getting ready to start that last seven. Some people believe the beginning of that is referred to as the beginning of the tribulation, and then that halfway point when the Antichrist violates his covenant, violates his treaty, decides to go back on it, and begins to come in. And if you continue to read about this ruler, this Antichrist, he sets himself up to be God. Blaspheming God. Rejecting all gods. Declaring himself to be God. And that's why he brings sacrilege and desecration to that temple. Because he wants to be worshipped. That's Satan. That's the representative of Satan. He, it's always been about worship. That's why one of the things that we focus on here is worship. I love worship. It is so important to worship the Lord our God. Because we are saved to have a relationship with him so we can worship him. But Satan also wants worship. And it just so happens he's willing to kill you. (laughs) To force you to worship him. It even says that someday he's going to corner the market on all buying and selling. And force people to take a mark. That is a representation of worship of this evil beast. Just so that you would worship the beast. But those who love God will not. 
Last verse I, I want to share with you, Romans 13, verse 11 through 14. And it's a powerful verse that I believe tells us we need to be ready. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time, it's running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. And I love this phrase. And put on the shining armor of right living. You want to know what your armor is? Right living. How about that? Put on the shining armor of right living. You want to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ? Live right. That's the shining armor of right living. I love that. Because we belong to the day. We we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, immoral living, or in quarreling or jealousy. Instead, I love this, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. I want you to consider something. My wife and I talked about this over breakfast. If you were to go around to every person in heaven, you would find prostitutes, murderers, liars, cheaters, pastors. (laughs) You would find every kind of person, but they all have one thing in common. Here's the thing. They heard the message of the gospel of Jesus. And they humbled themselves. They humbled themselves. They humbled themselves. And cried out to God for mercy. The thing everybody in heaven has is they humble themselves. Now, let's jump down to hell. You were in hell. One thing every person in hell has in common. They refused to humble themselves. Pride is rampant in hell. Pride It's not in heaven. Those in heaven have humbled themselves before the hand of God. Maybe they lived a terrible life. Maybe they made all kinds of mistakes. But they humbled themselves before Almighty God and said, I need the precious blood of Jesus to wash me and cleanse me and make me whiter than snow. Lord God, forgive me. I don't care what they did. I don't care where they came from. Every person in heaven has humbled himself. You you will not meet one person in heaven filled with pride. 
but every person in hell. And sad to say you're going to, no, you won't, you won't meet any in hell. <laughs> but if you did go down there, there'd be a lot of good religious people. Some fine, upstanding citizens that did good works, gave money, went to church, but they're filled with pride and proud of their pride. So, today... The message is clear. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. What is the one thing that keeps you from eternal life? What is the one thing that keeps you from your eternal destiny with Jesus? It's pride. Week after week, I give opportunity for you to be saved, born again. To give your heart to Jesus. And week after week, many of you have come. But I just want you to know that I'm aware that many have helped back. And have helped back for one reason. Pride. When you stand before Almighty God and find out, and He says, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I don't know you. There will be only one reason pride. Today, the message is simple receive Jesus. Believe that He is your salvation, believe that His blood pays the price for your sin that he loves you and cares for you and has a plan for your life just bow your head Lord to the best of my ability Lord I've spoken the things that you placed upon my heart and Lord I know our world is drawing closer and closer and closer to that last set of sevens. When you wrap all the things up that you said would happen, Lord, I pray that every person in this room would be ready for that day. I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. I don't know how that's going to take place. But Lord, I do pray that every person in this room would be ready Living like they sh- have shining armor of right living because they believe in Jesus and Jesus lives in them. Lord, I, I pray for individuals here today that have resisted turning their life over to you because of their pride. Lord, I pray that they won't wait one day too late. 
that they won't find themselves in an eternal hell because they wanted to wait a little longer. But I pray, Lord, that today, today, while they have the opportunity, they would receive you. Thank you, Lord. Draw people to you today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing one verse. Please don't leave. We're going to sing that song we sang earlier, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus. Let's sing it. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, fear watched in His is my story this is my song praising my Savior all the day long this is my story this is my my Savior all the day long. Every person, if you need Jesus, you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, turn your life over to Jesus, start over again, make your way quickly out of your aisles, out of your chairs, come meet me right here. Do not let pride rob you from the greatest gift of life. Would you come today? Please don't put it off. Don't hesitate. Come and come quickly. Would you come and say, Lord, I need you today. I don't want to put it off another moment. I don't want to put it off another day. Would you come quickly? Yes. Don't let pride hold you back. I don't care who you are, how long you've come to church. Would you come and turn your heart to Jesus and say, today, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. I want to turn my life over to Him. Would you come today? I don't care how old you are, how young you are. Would you come today and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart? Anybody else? Anyone else? This is what we want to do. Thank you for coming. Thank you for responding. This is heaven or hell. This is an eternity of saying, I want Jesus. This is not joining a church. This is asking Jesus Christ to come into your life. 
And here's the amazing thing. You pray this prayer, he comes into your life, and he forgives you. It's amazing. Wipes the slate clean. No matter what you've done, it's washed away whiter than snow. Is that not amazing? That is amazing. It's amazing. And I don't care what you've done. Don't want to know. <laughs> the good news is, the blood of Jesus is able to cleanse anything. And then walk in a newness of life. Because here's the thing. He comes to live inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit and help you to live. He empowers you to live. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Brother Freddie and some of the prayer counselors kind of come in, stand behind these, just in agreement and prayer. I'm going to ask you just to pray out loud. We're going to pray out loud and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and your life and be born again. Kind of, if you don't mind, I think it's great if you just kind of raise your hands before the Lord as an act of surrender. And let's pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I love you. I confess I'm a sinner. I humble myself before you. I cannot save myself. I accept the blood of Jesus as the forgiveness for my sin. Come into my life, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Live inside of me, Lord. I give my life to you. I belong to you, Lord. Do with me as you will. Help me, Lord, to live right because you love me and because I love you. Thank you, Lord. Today, I am born again by the Spirit of God. I will never be the same. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Lord. The people and the angels of heaven rejoice.